Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. It's such a blessing and a joy for Wendy and me to be with you again, uh, renewing friendships with so many, and of course making new friends because as a church we've enjoyed growth and people being added, so it's a huge joy. I've seen this building uh, on my phone, photographs, so it's such a joy to actually stand inside it and catch what God's doing among you. So thank you for being here. Uh, It's a great joy for us to be here. And I do pray that we may meet with God tonight. That's what makes God's people distinct, Moses said, that your presence goes with us. Uh, What are we if we don't have the presence of God? And we've got that privilege of his being with us. And for some of us tonight, it'll be a time for entering in more to that awareness of the presence of the Spirit with us, for us, around us, enjoying his comradeship, his companionship. That's what he wants. He wants to be with us. He wants us to enjoy his life, the kingdom of God, not eating and drinking. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so that's our portion. That's what God has for us. So I'm going to take you to some classic passages. I'm going to read, first of all, a few verses from Acts And chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, the last words of the Lord Jesus in his physical presence with the church, it says in verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you've heard of from me. For John baptised with water, but you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Not many minutes from now, I'm trusting for some of us. You will be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Take that on in your heart. You will be baptised in the Holy Spirit not many minutes from now. Jesus said not many uh, days from now. And uh, they began to ask him, is this uh, when you're going to uh, restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times and epochs which the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Father, we come to you. Lord, we praise you. Lord, our worship is your welcome. We've sung our songs of welcome. Holy Spirit, come now, we pray. Rest upon us. We love your presence. Come lead us into truth. Take your word and... May it live to us. May it inspire confidence in our hearts. May it lead us into truth. Come, mighty Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, these are remarkable words at the beginning of the book of Acts. And some have said it's kind of a key to understanding the book of Acts. Because when you read the Gospels, the disciples who travel around with Jesus are not exactly impressive. 
They're often getting it wrong. They're kind of squabbling with one another. They're trying to get position. They're hardly ready for the climax that's coming at the cross. They're nowhere near ready. And uh, then they all run away. Peter's denial is famous, but it says they all fled. I mean, these are failures, you might say. And yet within a few chapters of the book of Acts, they're getting the testimony that these men who are turning the world upside down are coming here. How come these guys who are so useless in the Gospels become so phenomenal in the book of Acts? Well, as I said, people have said verse 8 is the key to that. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Something else is going to happen to you. You're going to be clothed with energy, power, authority. There's going to come the Spirit of God upon you. That will change everything. And they're waiting for that event to take place. Now, for them as Jewish people, it's not kind of an unknown concept. It's not like, what's he, what's he talking about? Uh, they've got their Bibles. They, they know about other people in the Old Testament upon whom the Spirit came. You think of Gideon. When we first meet Gideon in the book of Judges, he's a scared guy. He's hiding in a cave. He doesn't want to know. And God comes to him and it says the Spirit clothed him. And he became a, a mighty warrior. He led an army of only 300 guys against thousands. He, he was transformed when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And so Jesus said the Spirit will come upon you. Ah, we've heard of that. We know that when Samuel came to young David and poured oil upon David, it says the Spirit came on David from that time on. He became a tremendous soldier, warrior, a leader, raised up an army, became a great king, clothed with the Holy Spirit. You see that again and again in the Old Testament. You see when Elijah finished his ministry, extraordinary ministry, closing the heavens, opening the heavens, calling down fire, he had a young disciple, Elisha, and, and he was evidently going to take over where Elijah had left off. And uh, he's told that effectively. Uh, and he's saying, I must have the spirit that's on you. And you get that strange thing in the beginning of Second Kings where Elijah seems to be trying to shake him off. And Elijah says, no, 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 no. You must, I must have the same spirit. If I'm going to do what you started, I must have the power that was on you. And of course, that's very similar with his disciples. Jesus was clothed with power at his baptism with John the Baptist. When he was baptised, the Spirit opened, the heavens opened, the Spirit fell upon him. He was clothed with power. He, he preached and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach. He knew a coming upon of the Spirit. And now these disciples, like Elisha, effectively are saying, if we're going to carry on what you started, we must have it. And Elisha saying, I must have the power that you had. And uh, Elijah says these strange words. He says, if you see me go, then you've got it. It's like, well, couldn't I have something? Would you like to pour oil on me or something? No, no. If you see me go, if you see me go. And he sees Elijah go and, uh, and his mantle falls to the ground. And when they arrived at this spot, in the River Jordan, and Elijah had with his cloak smitten this river and it opened and they went through and now he saw him go. Well, he said that, so, well, that's the promise. So he picks up Elijah's cloak and walks up to the river. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> and they says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he hits the river and it opens. He's like, wow, he's come. He had to step in faith. All right, I want you to take note of what we're saying here. 
He took a step of faith. He, took, he saw him go. Like these disciples saw Jesus go up into heaven. And by faith, he took, he took steps that required supernatural power. He only had his word. He went into it and it opened up. You get these stories in the Old Testament of people transformed when the Spirit came upon them. They became other than they were. They became empowered. Now, in the Old Testament, they tend to be special people. So, yeah, prophets like Elisha, kings like David, judges like Gideon. In fact, that's the only thing that marked out the judges. They were not sons of some other judge. They were people upon whom the Spirit came, and they were empowered to do it. So these Old Testament figures stood out. There's something of the history of the nation. These empowered people led the nation. But then there comes prophecy, first of all, from Isaiah, when he says that the Spirit will be poured out from on high. That's a new thought, the Spirit poured out. And then Joel, of course, more clearly, in the last days, I'll pour my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will see visions, your young men will see visions. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. There'll be that outpouring that's no longer going to be restricted to kings, to, to prophets, it's going to be widespread, old and young, male and female, and they're going to prophesy. There's going to be this outpouring. Jesus said, I've come to spread fire on the earth. How I am shut in. I've got a baptism to be baptised with. Until I go through that, how I'm limited, straightened, I'm shut in. I want to send this fire. I want to pour out the Spirit. But I've got to go through a baptism. He's got to go to the cross first. And then there'll come this mighty outpouring. What God always wanted to give the Spirit to his people, to dwell amongst us, to be manifestly among his people. That was always God's desire. And this is this historic moment in Bible history when Jesus is saying to his disciples, it's about to happen. The Spirit's about to come upon you. Now, if you're like me, I know as a young Christian, I was thinking, well, where do I fit in this? Is there any opportunity? Is there more for me? I'd, I'd come from a non-Christian background. I, I didn't have the Bible in my home. My parents were not believers till much later. And uh, I knew nothing really. I came out of the world, got saved, very backslidden. And then I kind of felt God called me to serve him much more wholeheartedly. And I threw myself into church life. And it was then I began to feel how powerless I was. When I was backslidden... You don't need power to backslide. I didn't, it wasn't <laughs> bothering me. But now I want to live for God. And I, felt, if only, I feel I need something more. Is there more for me? And, I, and I, I'm looking at scriptures. I'm reading other people. I'm reading some of the great theologians. And, and some are saying, no, there's no more. Once you're a Christian, that's it, essentially. You have the Spirit. You mustn't be looking for something else. And really, uh, very great Bible teachers were saying that. And I thought, oh, wow. And then other Bible teachers, for me in my country, there was John Stott, terrific Bible teacher saying, no, there's no, no more. Then there was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, perhaps the greatest preacher of our generation, saying, yes, there is, go for more, go for more. And I thought, well, if these two guys can't agree, I'll never work it out. But I had this growing longing, is there more? Can I experience more? Can I, can I be changed? And I felt it especially in the realm of witness. I felt I often missed opportunities to speak about Jesus. 
I, I could kind of cope with church life as it was in the Baptist church I was attending. Uh, you know, I could keep up with it sort of thing. But outside, I felt I'm so ineffective. At work, I was a hopeless witness. And I came a crisis for me one day. Uh, I'd, I was, I'd been to the morning meeting, and we used to go morning and evening uh, in those days. And uh, I had some time to kill on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, and I lived in a, a town by the sea, Brighton, on the south coast of England. And in the summer, if it's sunny and bright, Literally thousands of people walk along the promenade, just uh, walking in the sunshine. I had time to kill before the evening meeting, so I'm walking along, and uh, as I walk into Brighton, it becomes two promenades. There's an up one and a lower one. And uh, as I walk along, I see a crowd on the top and below. And it looks like quite a crowd. I thought, what's going on here? As I get closer and look over from the top, down there, there's some very elderly ladies and they're kind of singing and trying to speak, and they've got very frail voices, and they're holding up banners, and people are throwing cigarette packets at them, and apple cores, and it's kind of terrible. And I think, oh God, this is awful. I'm kind of embarrassed. Uh, you know, why is it like this, Lord? And I felt God said to me, well, in the Bible, I called young men. Uh, how about you? <laughs> you won't catch me doing that. I'm not going to, no, forget it, forget it. And uh, I kind of cringing. And then there's two guys in front of me. And one talking to the other and saying, look at those old fools. Why don't they keep their religion in their church? And I mean, they're right there. And I may not be called to preach in the open air, but here they are. And I could so easily have said, well, actually, I know Jesus, but I, never, I could never do it. And that day, I, my longing, my desiring, my confusion, I was brought to a kind of crisis. I thought, I've got to get an answer to this. I, if there is more, I want it. If I can be set free, I want to be set free. If the coming upon of the Spirit could change me, I desperately want that. And I went home. I got on my face before God. I said, Lord, is there more? I want to know about it. And there's a guy I used to have lunch with sometimes. I lived in Brighton, but I worked in London, which is an hour away by train every day. And there's a guy I sometimes had lunch with, and he was kind of everything I would like to have been. And uh, he was bright and open, and, and we had lunch from time to time. And if I came a bit late to wherever we were eating, he'd always be talking to someone about Jesus. And I used to think, oh, if only I could, and I, but I hated it. I was kind of, oh, she wouldn't do that. But I, I, I thought, I wish I could be as free as he is. And by this time, I'm desperate. I said, what is it with you? He said, oh, I've been baptised in the Holy Spirit. I mean, he said it a bit longer than that, but that's where we got to. <laughs> and I said, I want that. And he said, come to our church next weekend. Come to our church and we'll pray for you. Now, I'll come back to my testimony later on. But that was for me back in the 60s, 1962, years ago. I'm very old, years ago. And uh, it was like, is that possible? And uh, I began to long for that, so I might go and see that. So, see, what does the Bible say? Because we don't want to just go on people's testimonies because people can have funny stories. But what does the Bible say? It's interesting that the Gospels are all looking forward and so you'll find, especially towards the end of John's Gospel, for instance, Jesus starts talking about the Holy Spirit who's coming. 
He says to the disciples, I'm going, but he's coming. Get ready, he's coming. He'll replace me. He'll be with you. Jesus says a lot about the coming of the Spirit. The Gospels point forward. John the Baptist said, I baptise with water, but he will baptise you in the Holy Spirit. It's all pointing forward. So the Gospels look forward. The epistles, the letters of the various apostles are actually kind of looking backward. They're always all saying, this happened to you. This happened to you. This happened to you. And no epistle, neither Paul's or Peter's or John's, none of them say, you need to be baptised in water. None of them. Not one of them say, you, hey, you should be baptised in water. Why doesn't it? Well, because it's already happened. The letters are written to people already in the church. They've already been baptised. So none of them say you must be baptised in water. Similarly, none of them say you need to seek being baptised in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's already happened. So the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, you have to look at the book of Acts to see how it happened. And all scripture is God-breathed and given for inspiration, insight. So I want to look at some verses in Acts that show us what happened. Now, I've just read a little from Acts 1, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time in Acts 2 because we all know Acts 2. And also, it's a little difficult to build doctrine from guys who followed Jesus before the cross, before the resurrection, before the outpouring. They were already committed to Jesus before we would say essential doctrine of gospel, the cross. The cross hasn't happened yet. Jesus says to Peter, before the cross, you are clean. You think, how's he clean? You know, so these guys are living through the great acts of redemption, the cross, the resurrection. They live through it. So it's hard to kind of build on them. But if we look at what happened to people who were converted after all these events, then that's the same as us. We came in when all these things had already happened. What happened to people who came to Christ when all these things happened? So we're just going to look at some of those. Acts chapter 8, first of all, it says in Acts 8, and we're just going to look at three of them, and we'll see certain common features that will guide us, all right? So I always feel this. I've often been asked, would you pray for me to be filled with the Spirit? And I'll always say, how long have you got? Because I want to help you understand the Scriptures first. I don't want to wave a wand over you. I want to lead you to truth. And then you come to God and we receive. So we need to know what the Bible says. Because I'm a spirit-filled Christian because I'm biblical. I'm first biblical. That's why I'm committed to what we're teaching here tonight. So in Acts chapter 8, you'll find that Philip the evangelist goes to a place called Samaria and he preaches the gospel. So I'll read to you a verse from Acts 8, it says, When they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptised, men and women alike. In other words, these are converts. Philip the evangelist has led them to Christ. They've received him, they've been baptised. Then it says in verse 14, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they're in another town. Samaria is the distance, so the news got down to Jerusalem. Hey, there's a lot of people receiving Christ. They came down, it says, and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. 
They'd simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they laid hands on them, they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, so these guys' testimony would be this. When Philip preached, I heard the good news about Jesus. I responded. I received the Word of God. I entered the kingdom of God. That's the language we've been reading. I was baptised. I'm now a Christian. A few days later, however long it took for the news to get to Samaria and the guys uh, to go to Jerusalem and the guys to get from Jerusalem to Samaria, a few days presumably, then when they had hands laid on them, the Spirit came upon them. That was their testimony. That's what happened to them. Then you find Acts chapter 9. So we're going to look at common features and we'll look at an overview later. Acts chapter 9, the famous conversion of the Apostle Paul. Probably the most famous conversion in the Bible, maybe in world history. This Pharisee, this hater of the church, well, we know what happened to him. It says, the God of glory, the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness. That's the kind of creation language. It's what Paul says elsewhere. The God who commanded light to shine in the darkness shone into my heart giving me the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus that blinded him, put him on his back, and he became a Christian. He became a Christian when this light shone into his heart. And then it says, later, a guy called Ananias, we don't know who he was. Now, at Samaria, Peter and John were apostles who went down and prayed, but here, it's Ananias, who's not mentioned before or after. He's a guy fresh on the scene. He's just a disciple. And he's told to go and pray for Paul. And we'll just come to that key verse. Ananias entered the house, laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, he's a Christian brother by now, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me that you may regain your sight, yes, and that you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. So that was Paul's experience. Paul's experience is converted on the Damascus Road. He's filled with the Spirit when Ananias lays hands on him three days later. That's Paul's experience. That's Paul's testimony, if you like. First, an encounter with Christ, first born again. Second, the Spirit, when Ananias lays hands on him a few days later. Three days later, according to the passage, if we read it all. Then we look at one more, Acts chapter 19. Now this one's very interesting, because you'll see the same things, but it all happens in one day. Very interesting. Acts 19, and we'll put these together. Acts 19, Paul comes to Ephesus, and it says in verse 1, he found some disciples. Now, that sounds like they're Christians. He found some disciples. We would normally expect that to be Christian. But there were disciples of the Pharisees, and there were disciples of John the Baptist. They're referred to in the Gospels. So the word disciple is used a bit wider, but Paul probably thinks that they're Christians. But the passage goes on and shows that they're not. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no, we haven't even heard. There is a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptised? They said, John's baptism. In other words, they have been baptised 
with John the Baptist's baptism. Now, what was that? Well, John the Baptist was the preparer of the way, wasn't he? Repent, prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord's coming. That was his message. Bring down the mountains, bring up the valleys. He said, I'm the one preparing the way. And it says all Judea went out to hear John and to be baptised by him. Now, when it says all Judea, I don't just think it means the whole place was deserted, but it does mean vast numbers were baptised by John. He led a kind of an awakening of some proportion. And these guys had heard John the Baptist. That's what they say. They said it's John's baptism. And so Paul says to them in verse 4, John baptised with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who's coming after him. That is Jesus. John is pointing forward to Jesus. When they heard this, verse 5, they are baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, Paul leads them to Christ. So far, they just heard John the Baptist's message. Now they're hearing the full story about Jesus. And he, when, he had, uh, when they heard this, verse 5, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now they have become proper Christians. The f- interesting thing is what happened next. Verse 6, when Paul then laid hands on them, it's almost like they're still wet with baptismal water, he laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So it was a second experience, but it was right on the back of the first one. It wasn't like, oh, now you're a Christian, that's it, goodbye. No, 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 no. We want to see you clothed with power. Now you're a Christian, but we want to lay hands on you. Hold on, we haven't finished yet, sort of thing. And he lays hands on them, and the Spirit comes upon them, and they speak in tongues and start prophesying. They start prophesying immediately. The Spirit came upon them. Interesting, in the Old Testament, one of the things that happened was Moses, you may remember, Moses grew weary, he's exhausted. He's got two million people in his church and he's kind of wiped out. And he said to God, I'm exhausted. And God says, find 70 others. And he finds 70 others. And God says to Moses, I will take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on the 70. Maybe you remember that Bible story. I'll put it on the 70. And the spirit came upon the 70 and they began prophesying. These guys became equipped. There are these Old Testament images of, it's like preparing the way. This is going to happen. And they're all pointing forward. It's going to be a great day when this will happen. But then 70 people clothed with the Spirit start prophesying. These guys start prophesying, speaking in tongues, because the Spirit has come upon them. Okay, so I said when I started searching, there seemed to be more than one school about the Holy Spirit. There were those who said, Listen, you've got it. There's nothing more to seek. I was strongly told, don't seek. I went forward at a, a meeting where a man called Desmond Orr, uh, not Desmond Orr, uh, Edwin Orr, great preacher from the States, preached a terrific word. And I went forward and I didn't quite know what I was looking for. And I was counseled by a Baptist minister. And he said to me, you're not looking for more, are you? I said, yes, I am. He said, no, well. And, but, because there was a lot of... A fear. And a lot of people say, no, you've already got it. There's no more. And, and so what about being full with the Spirit? Well, it's a kind of a gradual thing. It will happen gradually. You've got it, but you will be gradually filled. Now, there's a lot of teaching in the Bible about gradual growth in God. 
But if you said to these people, no, you've, when they say, no, we've got it, there's nothing more. So if you say to them, so are you full of the Spirit then? Most would say, well, I've started that journey. I'm not exactly saying I'm full, but, you know, I'm in and I'm growing. And that's the sort of answer you would get. But when, Jesus, when Paul asks these guys, have you received the Spirit? They say, no. Then after he's laid hands on them and they're speaking in tongues and prophesying, if he then said, have you received the Spirit now? I think they said, yes. <laughs> they wouldn't say we're growing into that. They say, oh, yes, we have. That's why I'm prophesying and I'm speaking in tongues. I mean, it's all happening. That's what the Bible says. See, that's what the Bible says. And so that teaching that you've got everything at the beginning. Now, that can happen to people like Cornelius. We didn't look at the story of Cornelius, who when he was saved, the Spirit fell on him. And they all started speaking in tongues. And that was a shocking moment because these are Gentiles. And Peter, the Jewish, Jewish background guy, when he has to have a special dream in order to go, even to go into a Gentile home. He would have been scared going to a Gentile home. You know, if he walked into a Gentile home, he's now unclean. He can't go to the temple. He's got to go through all sorts of cleansing because he's gone into a Gentile home. And that would have been all the restrictions in Peter. And he, and he went into his home and he, and he start. they say, tell us about Jesus. And he starts telling them about Jesus and the Spirit falls upon them. And they start speaking in tongues. For them, it all happened in one go. Now, you have to say this about the Holy Spirit. He goes where he wants. The Spirit blows where he wants. I'm trying to set out some principles, which I think are helpful. But in the end, the Spirit will do what he likes. The Spirit is called wind. It's quite hard to hold down. Fire, water, all those emblems, they, they tie to the Spirit. The wind of the Spirit. It's the same word, ruach, in the Old Testament, and pneuma in the New Testament. Same word for wind and Spirit. It's like, he's, you know, he won't, you can't tie him down, but there are some principles we can see from the Bible. And in Cornelius' home, he just blew in straight away. And they all got filled with the Spirit straight away. They're all speaking in tongues straight away. And Peter says, what are you Romans doing speaking in tongues? You must have the Spirit like we have. You see, this outward manifestation was a kind of demonstration that God was involved. And we see it frequently in the book of Acts. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit falls upon them and they start speaking in tongues. Here in Cornelius' home, they all start speaking in tongues. In Acts 19, they start speaking in tongues. So it's this outward phenomena that takes place. The Spirit coming upon us, there is a kind of demonstration that He's there. That's what the Bible is telling us. That's what it's saying to us. Now, there's a difference we need to note. Jesus said to the apostles, wait. But He never, no one after the day of Pentecost was ever told to wait. Have you noticed that? Let's just think about the, what we've read. It said in Samaria, they received the kingdom, they received the gospel, they're baptised by Philip. Hey, we're now Christians. Peter and John come down and say, hey, they haven't been filled with the Spirit. They better go and wait. No, it doesn't say that. You better find a room. No, it doesn't say that. It says they laid hands on them and the Spirit came on them. When, when Ananias came to Paul 
He didn't say to Paul, you're going to be an apostle. You better find an upper room somewhere and wait. He doesn't. The unknown Ananias lays hands on Paul and he receives the Spirit. Now, there's no reference to speaking in tongues there, but he does say in Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than all of you. So that phenomenon happened to him as well. And in Acts chapter 19, these people who have just come to Christ, it's, not, it's like, hey, wait a minute before you go. It doesn't say you better wait for something more. They laid hands on them straight away. They're not told to wait for something more. No one, after the day of Pentecost, no one is told to wait. Now, that's very relevant for us all here tonight. After the day of Pentecost, no one is told to wait. So what, why, why, they, why were the apostles told to wait and nobody else is told to wait? Well, I think we'll find the key in John's Gospel, chapter 7. John chapter 7 explains that to us and it's very, very helpful for us. In John chapter 7, it says this, that on the last day of a great feast, and the Jewish people used to go up to Jerusalem to these great feast days, Passover, Pentecost, and so on. They'd go up, and there'd be thousands in Jerusalem. On the last day of this particular feast, where they were celebrating how God providing, provided water for them on their journey through the wilderness, God kept on providing. And the high priest, on that, or one of the priests on that day, would publicly pour water out on the great day of the feast. They'd pour out water and they'd all celebrate how God provided. On that day, Jesus pushed through the crowd and shouted out, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. He that believes in me, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Spirit that those who believed in him were to receive. But it says, but the Spirit was not yet given because they were not yet ready. No, it doesn't say that. It says the Spirit was not yet given because he was not yet glorified. So if you heard Jesus say, if anyone's thirsty, come. You say, I'm thirsty. Push through the crowd. Yes, please, Lord. What would he have said? Not yet. Isn't that that's what it says? Not yet. When then? On the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching, he says this, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up, whereof we're witnesses. He now, exalted at the right hand of the Father, glorified, has poured out this. What was this? Well, all these apostles, speaking in tongues, 120 of them, speaking in tongues, praising God, all these different languages, it's come. It's here now. So the waiting is over. And Peter stands up and says, the promise is to you and to your children. It's as for as many as the Lord shall call. The promise is for you. So from the day of Pentecost, no one was ever told to wait. All right? So if you say, I'd like to have the Holy Spirit, well, you don't have to wait. There's no need to wait anymore. That's what the Bible's telling us because this verse, this word of Jesus, if anyone's thirsty, it doesn't say if anyone's really holy. You know, there's a reward for the holy. It doesn't say that. This says water for the thirsty. It's not for special people, beloved. Some of us feel, I don't know if I'm special enough. You don't have to be special. Simon Peter was not very special. 
Simon Peter said, no, I don't know him. I'm not with him. He cursed and swore and said, I'm not with him. I don't really know him. Does that make him worthy for the Spirit? He's a write-off. He needs the Holy Spirit. That's where we stand, beloved. We need the Spirit. It's not that we're worthy. It's not that we come for, yes, I'm a good candidate. No, it's I need the Spirit. And the Spirit's available for all of us. It's not like some general who says, now go and fight. And if you do really well, next time you can have a gun. (laughs) It's like, don't you dare go, Jesus said. That's what he said at the beginning. Don't you dare go until you've got the gun, until you've got the power. That's how Jesus spoke to his apostles. Don't start until you've got it. They wait. They saw him go up into heaven. They wait, the Spirit falls upon them and they're out in the open air. They're preaching, they're transformed. They're absolutely transformed guys. And the gospel starts running in the power of the Spirit. And no one ever from that time on was told to wait. You don't have to wait. So tonight, if you say, well, I'm thirsty, the promise is to us. Jesus said this, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the heavenly Father, this holy, holy, holy one we've been singing about, the one who only speaks truth, the God who cannot lie, cannot lie. I was living by faith years ago in my 20s. I gave up work. I was doing evangelism and I was, my money was getting low. And I thought, oh God, this is hard. I'm coming up for Christmas. My parents are not Christians. Do I just take gifts and not give them anything? Say, well, I'm a Christian worker. I haven't got anything. <laughs> I thought, Lord, and I think, was my Bible reading? My Bible reading, I was reading systematically through the Bible. I think, what's, oh, please give me a word. And it's Titus. Oh, wow, the book of Titus. It's all about eldership appointment and deacons. That's not going to help me at all. And I opened it, Titus chapter one, verse one. It says, the God who cannot lie. I thought, hallelujah. God can't lie. All my fears went out the window and the provision came in. Because God can't lie. Is there anything God can't do? Yeah, he can't lie. And he promised to give the Spirit to those who ask. It's a promise. So we come to receive. It says in Galatians chapter 3, we receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's what it says in Galatians 3. You receive through faith. You come and say, Lord, you promised to give. I come to receive. If anyone's thirsty, well, here we are, Lord. Not yet, yeah, now it's fulfilled. There's no more not yet for us. I remember at one of the meetings we had at home, we used to hire the town hall at the time, and at the end of the meeting, a girl came up to me and wanted to receive Christ. And I had the privilege of leading her to Christ. She was a student in town, and it was lovely. She came right through, clear, became a Christian. And she said to me, which was amazing, really. She said, is there more? And I I said, why do you ask? And she said, there's power in this meeting. I thought, oh, hallelujah. And I said, yes, there is more. And she said, well, I said, well, come to our home. So we arranged for her to come to our home the following Saturday. So it's like a week, from Sunday to Saturday. She turns up on Saturday and she said, well, uh, I brought with me my, my roommate. Her name was Celia. Her friend was Suraji, an Indian girl. And she said, Suraji said to me, Celia is so changed. 
She said she's become a Christian. Can I become a Christian? I thought, wow, this is great. So I had the, I had the joy of leading Suraji to Christ. And she received Christ for little tears and things. She came to Jesus. Uh, and then she said, don't forget what I'm here for. <laughs> so, okay. So I opened the Bible and I explained to her about the coming of the Spirit. And she says, right, will you pray for me? Suraji, who's been saved 20 minutes, says, what about me? Well, beloved, with Acts 19 open, you can't say, oh, you better wait till you're more mature. <laughs> Acts 19 says directly, the, the water dripping off these new Christians and Paul lays hands on them, the Spirit fell on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So of course I said, yes, of course, of course. Saved six days and saved 20 minutes. I laid hands on them both. They both received the Spirit. They both started singing in tongues and went on their way very happy. Right, New Christians, not worthy, not special, not because they've done so much good stuff. New Christians, former sinners, now accepted in Christ. Is for, the promise is for you. The promise is for Christians. We just come and receive like they did. They were uncomplicated, they're new Christians. They just said, yes please, yes please. Uncomplicated, I find that children receive the Spirit often very easily because they're uncomplicated let's come and take yes please and, and we lay hands on them can I just go back to my story because I hope I can help you I, I, I said I went up to this guy's church he said come and be prayed for so I went there the next Sunday and I, I, they said you're lucky because we've got a big preacher from America here this week so you, you know he'll pray for you so oh, great so the guy comes in and I, I, wanna, I hope I can teach you from this. He came in and started laying hands on people. And I'm thinking, here's the guy who's going to do it for me. Wrong. Where does it say that? <laughs> Nowhere. Here's the guy who's going to do it for me. That's very wrong. Jesus doesn't say, if anyone's thirsty, look for the guy who'll do it for you. He says, no. <laughs> if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. That's what it says. Come to me and drink. All right? So the guy comes round. He lays his hands on my head, prays a prayer. And guess what I felt? Hands on my head. <laughs> and then he went. I thought, what was that then? I've come to London to be prayed for. I stayed overnight so I can get here in the morning. Hey, what was that? See, I, I got it wrong. And I say that because people get it wrong. And you may even have in your mind... If I go forward in a moment, the guy can do it for me. I want to help you not have that attitude. I had it. It was wrong. It was wrong. And I'm sitting there kind of, well, what was that all about? I came to London for nothing. That's exactly what I felt. And he left. He's gone. Well, that was, that was a waste of time. And then my friend said, no, 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 come on. Come back to what the Bible said. So my contemporaries... I was about 21, they were the same in the early 20s. They said, come on, look, the promises are here. So they opened the Bible again and started showing me some of the promises. So we're not coming to him now, we're coming to the Bible and we're coming to Jesus. And they said, now let us pray with you. Okay, so I'm back in the truth now. I'm back, I'm, I've gone off this kind of he'll do it for me thing to what does the Bible say? So that's much safer ground. And they said, no, come on, let's pray. 
And they laid hands on me and prayed, and I just asked for the Holy Spirit. I began to thank him because they said, just thank him. I began to thank him. Then they said to me, pray in tongues. I said, how do you do that? They just do it. I thought, well, how do you do it? So they just said, start. So I did. I just started. And I spoke for, I don't know, a few sentences. And I stopped. I said, I'm just making this up. <laughs> now I'm saying this because a lot of people go through this. I'm trying to serve you. They said, oh, I'm just making this up. And I stopped. And they said, no, no, no. They, they just, I was the worst possible person to counsel, which has been very helpful because I've prayed for hundreds of people since. And I know what a pain I was, all right? So, no, I said, they said, go on, go for it. So I started again. I just began to speak. They didn't give me any key. They just said, do it. You see, it's a bit like, it's interesting. In the, in the Old Testament, you remember Elisha was called by a woman who'd run out of oil. And he said, collect as many vessels as you can and then take the oil you've got and pour it. And so she did. Now, she didn't put the oil, you know, there's only a little bit of oil left. She doesn't put there and say, come on oil, go oil, oil go. No, no, no. She has to take what she's got, listen to me, take what she's got and start pouring it. That's what she had to do. The miracle wasn't that it suddenly, the miracle was it didn't stop. That's what speaking in tongues is like. You just begin to speak. And some people say, well, I'm waiting for Jesus to do it. God doesn't speak in tongues. God does not speak in tongues. God does not speak in tongues. If you're waiting for him to do it, he doesn't do it. It's a waste of time. He doesn't do it. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm trying to be helpful because I went along a silly path. And they said, just do it. And they didn't give me any way of doing it. But this woman, she poured out what she'd got. The miracle was it kept coming. That's what it's like with speaking tongues. You just begin, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And I've known people because I've prayed with so many people over the years. And they speak in tongues for a minute and then they stop. I, while I'm speaking to you, I'm breathing. I've been breathing for the last whatever time. And you haven't noticed, right? I keep on breathing. I've been breathing all the way along. I would have had difficulty if it wasn't. But you haven't noticed. Sometimes people speak in tongues. They go, It stops. Breathe, breathe. Oh yeah, here we go again. All right? Okay. I've seen people do that. They speak and then they stop. And they say, oh, it stopped. No, breathe. Go on. Go on, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going, I'm trying to help you. When we lay hands on you shortly, just go for it. Just do it. Just speak out. And don't whisper. They spoke. Like the early Wesleyans, when the Spirit fell upon them. It says they shouted and sang and praised and worshipped. Just do it. Pour out. It's, like, it's again like Peter when he was on the boat and he saw Jesus walking on the storm and he'd learned something by then. He said, if it's you, tell me to come to you. That's a smart word, that. Because it's now your responsibility. <laughs> so Jesus said, come. And Peter did not sit there thinking, oh, was that it? No, that wasn't it. 
Uh, was that it? No, he didn't do that. He just walked. He used his walking apparatus. He walked. He walked out of his own dimension, a boat, and put his foot on water and walked. He walked right out to where Jesus was. When you speak in tongues, you're using your normal speaking apparatus. You're breathing. You're vocal cords, your tongue, teeth, lips. It's not. No, you just do it. I'm trying to help you. Because it says in the Bible, when the Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues. Oh, prophesied. Prophesied. It may be that God gives you revelation straight away. These early Christians, Paul says in Corinthians, all may prophesy. You're stepping into the supernatural dimension. Because the church, beloved, is meant to be a supernatural community. But together we are a supernatural community. We will never withstand the horrors of the modern world and its moral drift just with arguments. There's got to be power in the church. Without it, we will not win this battle. There is such an avalanche of evil in our generation. We need to be empowered. Our children need to be empowered. They will just be taken away by the culture with all its power. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what happened the early church. Rome was running the whole thing. Nero. I mean, it wasn't like the politics was on their side. They were full of power. They turned the world upside down. The hope for the church is the power of the Spirit. That's what turned these guys around. They were hopeless before. They became powerful after when the Spirit came upon them. Okay, so for me, I just started and started. And then I carried on for a bit and my friend's fiancé said, you're very clever making all this up because I've been going for a little while. And we all laughed and all the tension went because we get tense. I was getting tense. And when we laughed, the tension went and it, I felt like a power go right through me. And I thought, Abba, Father, now, I knew God was my father. I'd been a Christian for six years, but I'd never known anything like this. It was like an intimacy. Father, Father. It was like, whoa. And, and they all went to a meeting after that. Their church meeting was following. And I sat at the back of quite a large church building. They were all down at the front. And through their whole meeting, which lasted, I don't know, a couple of hours, I spoke in tongues the whole way through. I just kept my hand over my face so as not to disturb anybody, but I didn't want to stop. I was just pouring this out, pouring this out, pouring this out. And I don't understand. The Bible says this, he that speaks in tongues speaks mysteries to God. It says your mind is unfruitful. In other words, you don't understand what you're saying. And you're not speaking to your ear. You see, you don't say, oh, what's that sound like? No, speak to God. We're giving it to God. We're pouring it out to God. We're celebrating how wonderful he is. The the guys listening on the day of Pentecost said, they're speaking of the wonderful works of God. Because these guys from different nations, Jewish people scattered around the world, came home to Jerusalem for the big festival, and they could hear the languages of the nations they'd come from. All these people are speaking the wonders of God. Then Peter stood up, in a common language, and preach the gospel. They didn't say, oh, more wonders of God. They said, what must we do to be saved? Because Peter's preaching to them. 
These guys are speaking the wonderful works of God in languages that people could recognise. But they themselves didn't know what they're saying. It's a strange mystery. It's God's providence. It's God's gift. I encourage you, if you would like to be prayed for, to expect to speak in tongues and to do it because it's for you to do. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to come and receive, to do so. Jesus said, if anyone's thirsty, it's the only qualification. It's not if anyone's special, if anyone's holy. No, no, no. If anyone's thirsty, come to me. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to, to come. In your heart, you're coming to Jesus. Now the people who are happy to lay hands on you, I'll come down as well, we'll, we'll want to lay hands on you because that's in the Bible. They laid hands on them. Ananias, whoever he was, he wasn't anybody special, he laid hands on Paul and the Spirit came on him. So we will lay hands on you because it says so in the Bible. So we will come to Jesus, we will ask for the Holy Spirit, someone will lay hands on you and you come and receive. You come and take Come and drink. Now, we're not offering water. Jesus said this to the woman at the well. He said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask. He'd give you living water. And you would have a well in you springing up to eternal life. What a word that is. This poor woman, she'd had, what was it, four or five husbands? She must have been quite a stunner. I'll marry her. No, I'll marry her. I'll marry her. I'll marry her. She must have been an extraordinary lady that so many guys are willing to, I'll marry you, marry you. Now the guy she's living with is not married to her. I guess she was past her prime. I'll live with you. And she's, she's gathering water when no one else is around. Perhaps she had a reputation. Perhaps she didn't like other people being around. And Jesus said these amazing words to her. If you knew the gift of God, all right, hear me, beloved. If you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking, Jesus said, come to me. You would ask him. He would give you living water and it will be a well in you. All right, it's a well in you. I'm going to speak more about that on Sunday morning. You will have in you a well springing up. And she said, I wouldn't have to come to keep, keep coming to this well. That's right, because you're going to have something inside. Forget your bucket. You don't just get a drink, you get the well. Beloved, you get the well. You get this, this indwelling, living water. This indwelling life, this vitality, this joy, this indwelling spirit. That's what we're meant to know and enjoy. That church full of the spirit. Individuals, a whole company full of the spirit. So Jesus is offering us tonight. I want to invite you, encourage you. Come and drink. Come and receive. Can we stand, please? Holy Spirit, we just again honour your presence with us. Father, we honour you. Lord, you know, we've looked at your word. We've not tried to take from anything else, just what your word says. I thank you, you love to stand by your word. Thank you that God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, will he not do it? 
Has he spoken? Will he not make it good? Thank you. You cannot lie. You offer us the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, so much. You cannot lie. You give the Spirit to those who ask. 